the issues we face as Christians are different than some of the issues that the early Christians faced or that people faced a hundred years ago. Uh, they didn't have uh, television a hundred years ago and MTV and uh, fast cars and, and the kind of society, the techno-urban society we fit in. And there's complications and there's changes in our society that we need to be aware of. Martin Luther said if we preach the gospel on every front without touching the issues of our day, we're not really preaching the gospel at all. And so we've incorporated a class on the central issues and our involvement in society in those key issues uh, and what the Christian's response is so as to form a Christian worldview, Christian mindset in the midst of a secular society. So neat to, to just get up in the morning and praise the Lord and worship with people and grow close to people. And I think the, the thing that I'm going to miss most is, is seeing all of you every morning. I feel like we've kind of become a family here. And um, we've kind of gotten to know each other. Um, and um, Carlos' chipper little face every morning. <laughs> and we see our primary focus and emphasis is our relationship with God. Not, as historically some churches have said, our relationship to the world, primarily to preach the gospel to every living creature. That's not primary. It's to know God to be conformed into his image, to give glory to his name, to respond to his grace and to his love. And then secondly, it's to inreach, to um, build up the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. And then finally, when we're equipped by a relationship with God and we're equipped by building up one another in that strength, simultaneous to those other two ministries, we're reaching out to a lost world as we're tied into one another and tied into the Lord. But the school of ministry has taken on that in, in kind of a microcosm form. Uh, every day the school opens up with devotions. Uh, worship songs uh, are a part of it. P personal prayer life, prayer for the world, building one another up as we get to know each other. And, and there's been opportunities for the students to know one another, love one another, encourage one another. But then the graduation is to go out and use those things to build up the body and to evangelize the world, to be mobilized. So they have taken the baton, so to speak, of that vision and put it into flesh. They've made it uh, an incarnational theology. Uh, the emphasis has been servanthood. The emphasis has been serving people in the world, in the body of Christ. So I, I see a natural graduation of now they've come to the end of the school to take that vision and go forward with it. They've taken the baton and they're actually doing the vision. I would love to see people with a vision for their own Jerusalem, Albuquerque, New Mexico, to start here. And if you can't serve here in the body of Christ, and if you can't serve in this community, seeing the needs, going out to meet those needs, you won't be much of a missionary in Africa or China or anywhere else if you're not doing it now. And you know, people will say, well, I want to go out and I want to be a missionary. And if they can't say, oh, I belong to this kinship, or I'm involved in the new believers group, or I'm involved in college and career, if they're not involved now, they're not going to be very involved out there or do much people, uh, many people, uh, much good because it begins here. It begins in this community, and then it goes out. I would love to see creative ministries develop um, in terms of uh, ministering, let's say, to unwed mothers in this town, those who are victims of a rape or a pregnancy 
And uh, they need the love of Christ and the compassion to tell a woman, keep that child, raise that child, let's find an adoption agency, or maybe start our own. Uh, ministry to the poor is still very much on my heart. I'd like to see our kitchen developed over here and the school of ministry be able to run it, to bring people in from the streets, love them, share the gospel with them, feed them, clothe them, and, and uh, make an impact with the gospel to them. Then I would like to see uh, people go out with that same vision in this community to other little communities that surround New Mexico. New Mexico has a lot of um, untapped areas. It's got a lot of wilderness. There's not a lot of uh, a population between here and the next town. And you get to the next town and you blink and it's gone. But they're still in need. And I'd love to see people go out who want to teach the Bible and love people in Gallup and in Roswell and Hobbs and Taos and so forth and to be able to go out there and be planted knowing that we're behind them. But if God's placed a calling on their life to start a church there, I'd love to see churches started in all of these communities throughout the state and uh, then branch out into some of the other southwestern states. But begin here in our own Jerusalem and then our Judea. And then, you know, sky's the limit. And as we go out into our, in our outreaches to do that, we need to remember that, that we're not there to bring some philosophy, some thesis that we're going to present to them. We're there to share the love of Christ. We're, just, we're there to share to them that we're all sinners and that God loved us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. Interning is a vital part of learning. Doing the ministry is a natural dovetail into, into the education process, the academics. Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. That's been sort of our, our motto, our fuel in this school of ministry. Let's give them academics. Let's give them theology. Let's give them principles of biblical counseling. Let's give them hermeneutics and homiletics, all of those things that you learn anywhere else. But what is so often missing in an academic Christian education is that people become puffed up and prideful with head knowledge and think they're a cut above other Christians instead of seeing they ought to be serving them. They ought to be cooking meals to teach them. They ought to be thinking of ways to serve them in their counseling rather than have the counselee become dependent upon the counselor as if he's something. But to really have the attitude of serving, the best way to do that is to put those people in needs with hurting people. And we've done that. School of Ministry students counsel between services, after services. Uh, they're involved around the church and helping out. Uh, they're involved in um, the lives of people um, here in the church. We found different ways to plug them in into practical hands-on ministry. To deny yourself. It just means giving your, giving total, your total life, your total commitment to God 100%. And that doesn't mean 98, 99.9. That means 100% for him to use you totally. You need to do that. And um, if you want to fulfill your life, because God has such an awesome plan for us. And, um, and to totally, totally fulfill our lives, we've got to give him 100% of ours. These School of Ministry students have had to learn stuff, do stuff, be plugged into the church, balance their family, balance their time with every... It's been a, a time cruncher for them. Time management has been a, a real big issue with them because we've given them a lot of demands academically, uh, servanthood, 
of course, they've got to keep up with their family, and that's been difficult for them. But they've done a good job of it. My hope for the students of the School of Ministry is that they would not forget what has been taught them, that they would not forget especially the fact that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of God working in and through them. I would hope that they would learn to see that what really is important is a heart to serve and love God and serve His people. And beyond that, God will supply. These students, um, no Bible knowledge, no servanthood. You could take them to the Philippines, to India, to Indonesia, to Japan, to China, all over these places. And they would be able to impact an entire society with what's been put into them. And so I would hope that they would see that there's a big world out there, the harvest fields, haven't changed. They're still ready for harvest. The laborers are still few, and the demand is still high, and that they would have a heart like what Paul described those in the epistles, addicted to the ministry. My challenge would be the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, to work on those two items takes a lifetime of labor, and there are a lot of creative ways those can be fleshed out in ministry. But to have an intense love for God, and wherever you go as students, to remember that loving God is even more important than serving God. And your service to God will spring out of your fellowship and love for Him, not vice versa. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned is sticking with my first love and unbelief and being stressed out and being freaked out and burdened is a result of believing our first love. And I hope that that love relationship with Jesus Christ takes precedence over being in the kitchen and serving, being in the pulpit ministering, wherever the Lord would take them. That's the most important thing, their relationship and contact with God. The only thing I didn't like about that video is I was in it way too much. I had a challenge here to prepare, but I don't think I really need to do that because you heard enough of me. But um, you students, you're precious to us. And uh, this, is, this is a fun evening for us. It's a real privilege to watch what God has done in your life and what He's going to do. Um, what I'd like to do is I want to introduce the students to you, but first I want to introduce some of the uh, people who've been involved in teaching them. The directors, Kirk Hutchison and Chris Armijo. Would you come on up? Give them a big hand.
been an interesting year, not only for Kirk, but also for Chris. Kirk has been an outreach pastor and done a lot of stuff around the church, but then he took over the school of ministry to uh, help organize it, to teach in it. And of course, he's lost a little more hair in the process with all of the students and the worry. And then Chris cut his hair in the process. It was a little longer, so they've changed physically as well. I have this long speech prepared tonight, so you students are sick of my announcements, you're sick of me and everything else, but I have just a couple of announcements. Don't forget to sign in tomorrow morning, and three absences, and you're out of the school, folks. You know, it's really been an awesome privilege and a blessing to see God unfold His plans. You know, a lot of times we talk about vision, we talk about hopes and dreams and that kind of thing. And, and God puts desires in our heart. A lot of times, they're just words and they're just something that we talk about. But to actually see God put feet on vision and to make something happen is is a blessing. And um, I just remember back, I don't know, I think I shared this with Skip when he first asked me if I wanted to take on this position. But way back when, when I went um, with a missions organization, I went out to the Philippines and I remember sitting and writing in my Mickey Mouse prayer journal, it was actually a Mickey Mouse prayer journal, um, some of the things that I believe the Lord was telling me, and I believe that the Lord said, I am going to call you back to Albuquerque someday to be involved in discipling and training and sending people out. And year by year, I always put that on the back shelf until one year I came home seven years later, and Skip said, Chris, come into my office. I want to talk to you about this this vision the Lord has placed on my heart. I was just in China, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and everything you just heard on there. And it was really neat because it totally confirmed to my heart that God wanted this to happen. And it's a miracle of God to see it happen, actually happen, to see people raised up, to see people raised up into servanthood. And I think that's the most awesome privilege there is. It's been a privilege working with the students. I know that they've had to put up with me and my anxiety at time, but it's been an awesome privilege. And to see people raised up into servanthood is my heart's desire. Um, now it's time to put into practice what we've learned. I think tonight what we should be handing out, rather than giving you your certificates, I think we should be handing out towels saying, go wash feet. I think we should be handing out shovels saying, go dig ditches. And I say we should say that we should tell you guys, go and do it in the name of the Lord. And one of the things that I've stressed to the students, and they're probably sick of hearing this, but without love, we can't do nothing and we're not going to make any type of effect on anybody. And you know, it says in 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about, I could speak with the tongues of angels and the tongues of men and though I could prophesy and understand all mysteries, without love I can do nothing. So I guess if there's a last thing that I could share with the students, it would be go out and do it and do it with love. So what we're going to do now is we've commissioned our stu students to go out and do it and do it with love. And we've set up four different practical avenues for outreach. We're going to be sending the students to four different areas. And those countries will be Eastern Europe, which include Yugoslavia and Hungary. We're sending a team to the Ukraine. We're sending a team to Mexico. And we're sending a team into China to smuggle Bibles for two weeks. We ask that the body would pray for us. There's some struggles and difficulties going on in Yugoslavia. Ask that the Lord keeps the doors open. Um, we're going to take the cry crew, the cry with us out there. We're going to have some concerts. The students are going to do evangelism and ministry. Mexico, we're sending four students down there with a part of our youth group. They're going to be involved in feeding people, doing street feeding, um, doing Bible studies, 
leading people to the Lord. We're sending a team to China. They will be involved in doing Bible smuggling. Pray, church, that these Bibles get into the right hands and to the people that the Lord wishes to have these Bibles. And then we're sending the team into the Ukraine. They're taking the Jesus film um, into the Ukraine and they're going to be ministering there. The students who are going to the Ukraine are involved in some intensive language studies. Please pray for them. But now it's time to go put into practice what we've learned. Those are the areas that we feel the Lord has called us to. We thank you, church, for supporting us as a school and we ask that you would continue to do so. We're going out as a body to do this. We're not going out as a school of ministry, but we're going out as Calvary Chapel. Again, thanks for your support. Well, I can't add anything to that, so good night, everybody. Drive safely, won't you? Uh, wow. You see why we hired this guy? This guy's great. Uh, in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. And uh, over the last five months or so, we've seen that he'll also build his school. Um, we saw him start with um, a vision that he gave to Skip and then passed on to the rest of us. He provided the curriculum that we needed to uh, pass on to you all. He brought us some incredible teachers, uh, folks that it's been a real joy for me to work with, uh, people who just volunteered to come and to uh, help out and to pass on the things that they've learned, not only through um, biblical study, but through uh, their experiences in their lives and to really share their hearts with the students. Um, he brought Skip to be the head honcho of this whole thing and to kind of ramrod us and to get the thing going. Uh, he brought Chris alongside to uh, really administrate the school and to add uh, a lot to what went on here. He brought in the facility that we used, but the main element, the, the crucial element of the school was you guys, was the students themselves. Um, of course, without you, there wouldn't be a school, but what I mean by that is he brought people with incredible hearts. It was my joy not only to administrate the school, but to um, teach in the school. And a crucial element when it comes to a disciple of Christ is that they're teachable, and that's what I saw with each of these students. That they were teachable, and they had a willingness to do um, whatever it was that the Lord is telling them to do and to go wherever it is that he's telling them to go. And you've already shared with me some of the places that he's calling you to go and some of the things that you believe that he's asked you to do. And it blesses my heart to see that you're willing to go and to do whatever it is that he tells you. It was also a joy for me just to be around your zeal. And uh, I was saved 17 years ago. And I've been through some ups and downs since then, but it was just a joy for me and a real boost for me to just hang with you guys and to uh, get get my spirit reignited just by hanging around you. Um, I also saw your endurance, especially about halfway through when uh, things were, were uh, starting to get kind of strained and you were starting to feel some of the costs that uh, Christ was asking you to give. Uh, towards what he was doing in you. And I saw you press on and go past that wall and to just keep on going. So um, I'm thankful tonight. My heart is really full of thankfulness, not only to the students, uh, but to the family of the students, ones who uh, did without them for the most part for the last five months or so. Um, I'm thankful to this body for supporting them.
for putting up with us using the facilities and for working around our schedule and so forth. We appreciate that. And uh, as Chris mentioned, um, this isn't the end. They're going on out on several different outreaches. And we're thankful to you for your support um, already uh, in financially getting behind a lot of the folks that have come up to you and said, I'm going here, there, and um, I need your help. We're really grateful to you, and uh, we still need your help. So whenever you see some of those folks coming up to you, you know, pray about it and uh, see what the Lord lays on your heart. Um, this group is, is really special to me, and it's hard to believe that there's going to be another group that's as special as this group is. Um, but I know that there's people out there in the crowd tonight that, that God is speaking to and saying, you know, go to the next school, and you're going to make up the next school that we do. And so we look forward to having you. You'll be um, getting information about uh, when our next school is going to be and how you can sign up, and we'll be letting you know about that in the coming weeks. But anyway... Uh, I just love you guys. It's been a joy. Thank you, Kirk, Captain Kirk, and Chris. We um, want to pray for the students tonight. We want you to meet them. We're going to call them up in a minute, in a few minutes, and uh, let you see them. We want to lay hands on them. We want you to pray for them. And then when they're out on their trips, if they're in the Soviet states or if they're in the Eastern Bloc, we want to pray for each group, not only when they go, but while they're away at all the services. And I can't wait to hear the reports when they get back, if they get back. Um, as I recall in the Scripture, Jesus said go. He never said anything about coming back, but He did say go. It's true. Following Christ is an all-out commitment to death, nothing less. He wants all of you. He won't take part of you. He wants all of you. And um, if we could bring the lights all the way up, maybe they are all the way up, and it's just dim in here, I don't know, but if we could do that, great. And if you turn in your Bibles for the next few moments to John chapter 13, something that Kirk made mention of. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. The story of Jesus washing dirty feet. This chapter is a message to disciples. It is a message to servants. It is a message to ministers. All of those names were at some time given to the school called it a school of ministry, called it um, servant school of ministry or the servant connection. Uh, we called it a discipleship school. This chapter deals with all of those positions. A disciple is one who's called to follow and to learn. A servant is one who's called to serve. A minister is a synonym for a slave or a servant. One called to serve another. In this chapter... It is the last evening that Jesus spends with His disciples. It's the upper room discourse. They're around the table celebrating Passover. Jesus knows that in a few hours He will be arrested and sentenced to death at the hand of the Romans because of the provocation of the Jews. There's His disciples. 
They've been with him now more than just a semester. They've been there three and a half years, almost a college education. Yet Jesus had so much to tell them. He knew that it could only be learned by just going for it. That there's the school of Jesus, but then there's the school of the Holy Spirit. You just go out and do it. And let God show Himself strong as you go. The problem was, these disciples were often slow of heart to learn. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus? Jesus said, Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I'm that way often. I'm very dense. God has to pound things over my head many times for me to get them. I'm so glad that He keeps persisting. But there's the disciples. It's like the coach with the team. In the dugout, before the game, He's prepping them with some last-minute instructions. And Jesus gives the most important instruction to them as to how they should go out and serve Him. And the way they ought to do it is to serve one another. We read in verse 1 that before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Supper being ended, the devil put already into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, was going to God, he rose up from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. In those verses, we have an attitude difference. We have the contrast between a selfless serving attitude and a selfish attitude. It's a contrast of Judas empowered by Satan, Jesus empowered by the Spirit and sent by the Father. Jesus gets up from the supper and this whole event that we read is not an institution of a sacrament. Jesus didn't mean, okay, now guys, after I'm done, for the next 2,000 years or so, I'd like you to have a service once a week, get a basin of water and scrub feet. That wasn't His issue. The issue was the way they ought to treat one another to become a slave, if need be, to minister to the need of the person who's sitting next to you or who's next to you in the office or wherever you go. It's more than just an institution or a ritual. And Jesus was demonstrating... His ministry. He had left heaven. He got up from His throne, from the right hand of the Father, came to this earth as a servant, Philippians tells us. And so Jesus is demonstrating what He had already done in a greater way. The way of Satan versus the way of God. Remember Isaiah 14 says that Satan, Lucifer, said in his heart, I will push my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. I will go up, up, up. I'll make something of myself. He had good self-esteem. The devil did. God said, you will be brought down to the lowest parts of the pit. Jesus, on the other hand, said that he would empty himself and become a slave. That he wouldn't demand attention or demand extravagance. He would just lower himself, become a slave, and pour his life out unto death. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Jesus said, I'll go down, down, down. The Father said, I'll lift you up. The devil said, 
I'll go up. I'll make something of myself. God went, put him down to the lowest parts of the pit. Now in verse 6, <laughs> he came to Simon Peter. That should be a red flag already. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. That should have calmed Peter. That should have just made him zip it up and listen. Peter, listen, you don't know what I'm doing. You don't understand. But that's not good enough for Peter. He tries to prove that he does understand. He won't just believe what Jesus said. Peter, you don't understand. Well, let me say a few things here. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> From one extreme to the other, Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. Don't commend Peter on this kind of humility. This is false humility. False humility is when you try to prove that you are spiritual, even when you disobey. Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. You'll never wash my feet. That's not humility. That's disobedience. When Jesus says He's going to do something, let Him. Don't tell Him no. Now, Peter was used to doing that. We read in the book of Acts that he had a vision on a roof and a sheet was let down from heaven with four-footed beasts and creeping things. And the Lord said, get up, Peter, eat these things. And Peter said, no way, Lord. Instead of, okay, Lord, you're the Lord. Lord means you the boss. He said, no way, Lord. Like he was some humble person. I would never disobey the Lord. Three times God had to do that to him. So he said, Peter, listen. What I've cleansed, you have no right to call unclean or common. So he said, yes, sir. And he ate, but it took a while. Now verse 12 begins the application. And really that's what we zero in on tonight. When he had washed their feet, taken their garments, sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? Now, Peter, don't say a word. You don't. He already said that. But he's asking the rest. Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You say well. For so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Jesus' whole point is that of being available to minister, to serve one another. The question we ought to have when we're with people is, what is their need? What dirty spot on their feet in their walk of life do they have, not that I can criticize, but that I can help cleanse? How can I wash them? How can I serve them? We often are around people with the opposite attitude. I have a need. Why isn't someone there to minister to me? I need help. When I call, how come no, you know. The attitude, how can I serve? Jesus said, I'm the Lord, man. If I, the Lord of heaven, washed your disciple feet, 
you ought to wash one another's feet. You ought to do as I've done to you. This has been an example. The disciples did have problems, we know, being able to get along with each other. They would argue about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. In fact, at one point, the Zebedee brothers had their mom come and talk to Jesus. Jesus, a little <clears throat> favor here, listen. My sons are like to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. No big deal, just they want to be in the top spot. The disciples found out about mom doing the dirty work and they started arguing among themselves. Even in the upper room, there was this kind of rivalry. But Jesus says, you ought to be a servant for two basic reasons. Number one, I'm your boss. I'm your Lord. You call me Lord. You say that I'm your Lord, and I am. Therefore, it logically follows, if I, your boss, humbled myself, then you, my servant, how to serve one another. I'm your boss. This is precisely where we have our greatest problem. There's probably not one of us tonight in this room who'd say, oh, I'm a servant of Jesus. He's my Lord. But often we treat Him like He's our servant. Lord, I want You to do this for me and that for me and do my bidding and I claim this. Instead of, Lord, I'm here to do Your work. I'm to seek first Your kingdom. We treat God like His basic job is to make us smile and happy. Jesus said, no, let's get things right. I'm the boss. You're the servant. That's the first reason. Secondly, I'm your role model. He says, I have given you, verse 15, an example that you should do as I have done to you. And I love this. As a role model, Jesus didn't tell them. He showed them. Though He had every right being the Lord, He could have said, listen, I'm your Lord, therefore I say to you. He said, I'm the Lord, therefore I'll show you. And because I've done it, you ought to do it one to another. Verse 17 is the key part, and we'll leave off here. If you know these things, happier you if you do. That, in a nutshell, is my parting challenge, shall we say, to the school of ministry and to this body. You've been well fed, students. You've got some great teachers. I've heard and I've seen the lesson plans from some of them. Great stuff. You, church, have been well fed. Just by virtue of the fact that you live in America, you've got access to the best Bible teachers on the planet. Their books are in bookstores around this city. Their television and radio programs are in most dials around the country. There's more Bible bookstores and availability of knowledge than ever before in history. Okay? Now Jesus said, if you know these things, guys, you will be happy if you do them. Knowing is the first part. The education and the academics, that's the foundation. But you'll never be happy until you do them. It's only half. If servanthood means anything, it means one word. Obey. To some, that's a four-letter word. I mean, it really is a four-letter word, but to some, it's, it's a, in an analogous way, a four-letter, it's a dirty word. Obey? No, I'm a Christian. I should have things lavished upon me. No, obey. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Studying the Scripture is invigorating. It can stir us emotionally. 
It can challenge us academically. But it can never grow us up spiritually. Never. Knowledge will grow rancid. In fact, knowledge biblically is the most dangerous thing you can get if you decide not to use it. It will absolutely destroy you. You become puffed up with head knowledge. And you become a Bible-toting, um, kind of a Christian ping-pong artist where you're quick to boom, 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 argue back and forth at the table with any little point of doctrine. Jesus used an interesting word, blessed, literally, which is translated happy. If you know these things, okay, you'll be happy if you do them. You'll be blessed. It means to be envied. You'll have deep satisfaction and joy if you do them. Here's, here's the basic, the nuts and bolts. If you decide to live as a servant, to daily think, how can I seek first the kingdom of God? How can I serve other people? How can I invest my lives the best way into the lives of God's people to grow them up into the lives of the world to lead them to Christ? If you live that way, satisfaction guaranteed, man. You'll be happy. You will be happy, Jesus said, if you do these things. You'll have such a joyous life. The blessings poured out to you, you will not be able to contain. You'll just sit back and go, this is more awesome than I thought. If, however, you decide to live selfishly, you plotted your course in life, and your decision is, I live for myself, for my gain, for my pleasure, and I want God to add to me all the things that I want, then the result will be the opposite of what you're searching for. You'll want happiness, but you'll never find it. Because selfish living never gives it to you. If you know these principles of servanthood, you will be so satisfied and happy and joyful if you put them into practice. Happy are you. The reason being is you were created by God for His pleasure to bring glory to Him. And God has a goal for every one of us tonight, and that is He wants to conform us into the image of His Son. You, that's, a, that's a mighty high goal. Look at us. Conformed in the image of His Son? Us! God, you must have confidence in yourself. It's been said God loves us the way we are, but He loves us way too much to leave us the way we are. He's committed to forgiving you as you are, but then conforming you into His image. And you'll be so happy if you do these things. Become a servant for one another. And notice the sequence. Humility first, then happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of discovering the will of God. And you know these students began in Romans 12. And it's kind of a full circle. Romans 12, I call it the graduation chapter. It's really probably for every uh, seminary graduation, every school of ministry graduation, it, it should be read. Because Paul gives a treatise of knowledge for 11 chapters, all about God's plan. You were creeps. He saved you. He justified you. He's sanctifying you. He's going to glorify you and all of those precious doctrines. And then he finally says in the graduating chapter, Romans chapter 12, Therefore, in view of all of these things that you now know, I beg you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's where these students began. They said, God, here I am. Here's my body. Fill my mind, fill my heart, use my body. 
Many of them began the school thinking, I want to be used by God, but I don't quite have a handle on the direction. I don't really know all of my gifts. Many of you have discovered them. Most of you have discovered them. And you're focused now. You're channeled. You've laid your life before God. You've experimented with your gifts. You have waited for the affirmation of the brothers and sisters in this church and in the school to say, you know, you're really good at that. I encourage you to do that. And now you've come full circle back to Romans 12.1. Again, presenting your bodies unto the Lord as a living sacrifice. After all of that knowledge, here I am again, Lord. I present myself to you. Now use me. I'd like to call all the students up at this point. And uh, come on up. You know who you are. I'll read your names once you're up here. And uh, I'd like to introduce you to the church. Come right on up stage. You know, Jesus took 12 men. Just 12. We've got over 40. Took 12 guys and He said, okay, here's your job. Go everywhere in the whole world and tell every single creature about Me. And you know what? They did it. They did it. They turned the world upside down. Imagine what God can do with this many people. Imagine the things that God can do. And we're only limited by unbelief. Um, let me read their names. Why don't you put up your hand as I read your name so we can, so we can get a, see who you are. Mike Allers. Iris Bammert. Brian Chin. Denise Cordova. Jerry Cosper. Sharon Costales, Dan Covert, Jeffrey Dan or Jeff Daniel, Mitch Elsie, Juan Gonzalez, Juan. You're Samoan, Juan. How did you get that name? I'm still curious. <laughs> Terry Gray and Russell Gray, bros. Don Hammonds. Daniel Hiltbrunner, Pam Hogue, Maxine Hopping, Patricia Crayer. Now, Jean-Luc and uh, Eve, how do you say their last name? Le Joie. Le Joie. <laughs> <laughs> They're not with us tonight. With Pete, our youth pastor in Southern California, working on an album that will be released soon that uh, um, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa is uh, produ helping to produce along with us. Uh, okay. Uh, Teresa Little. Mitchell Madrid. Arthur Morris. Art Morris. Shelby Morris. Are they here? No. Just had a baby. All right. We'll excuse them. <laughs> Shelby, oh no, I got that, okay. Robert Mead. Devin Mitchell. Mike Montgomery. Mike Morales. Monica Ortega. Larry Ortega. Deborah Pierce. Robin Ruffay. Helen Rodriguez. Gabe Salazar. Gabe? Where are you? <laughs> Did you finish the lawn for Randy? He was mowing Randy's lawn uh, yesterday. For, to, you know, it's great. These guys have worked. 
and uh, served, served, car washes, bake sales, mowing people's lawns, served to get money to go serve in another country. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Mark Samuelson, Carlo Sanchez, Louis Sanchez. All right. William Smith. All right. Bill. Jackie Vigil. Rebecca West and Jim West. Now, um, we've had a lot of different teachers. In fact, if you're a teacher and you're here tonight, would you stand up? I know all of you didn't come, but if you're here, stand up. They're all hiding in the back. Richard and seniors taught the uh, one of the survey classes. Uh, was it the New Testament survey, Rich? Yeah. And um, his life verse is, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? <laughs> and then Con Tweeten was the pastor, pastor from Santa Fe taught church history. And he taught really also how to, you know, wear a ponytail and still be a pastor at the same time. Rick Lestrap, who uh, was a lawyer, repented of that and became a pastor. Taught Old Testament survey. George Sanchez, who's not here tonight, taught biblical counseling. And also he taught how to sing during your message. He taught them how to do that. Kirk Hutchison taught uh, the uh, confronting biblical issues and our responsibility to the issues of our times. Chet Evans. Chet taught how to flow in the spirit, just to go with the flow. He taught about discovering your spiritual gifts and getting vision and perspective in the ministry. And then Jay Kalina uh, taught um, uh, theology, practical theology. Chris and Kirk, we need you up here because you are the directors of the school. We even have diplomas, man. It's official. they got a seal on them. <laughs> I'm going to give these to you. Could I have... Uh, the uh, pastors, the elders of this church, Jesse, come on up as well. Uh, my pastors, come on up so we can uh, pray for these people. And uh, uh, you can lay your hands on them. No, not that kind of laying on of hands, Jesse. <laughs> and we want to pray for them. Let's see a showing of the hands of these students. Who are, of you are going to the Soviet uh, Republic? Raise your hand. Wow. You going to? And then a show of hands to those going to Eastern Europe. Raise your hand. <coughs> Hong Kong. China. All right. Mexico. Did we miss any other? Is that it? Any other place? Okay. How many of you are staying going nowhere? I'm just kidding. Let's, uh, let's all have a word of prayer now for all these people, okay? Father, we are so grateful to see a reenactment of what we read in the book of Acts chapter 13 where the Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work wherein I have called them. Lord, You've told us, You've told these students that they were being separated for a special work of Your ministry. Your Spirit has placed that call upon them. 
They have separated themselves over a period of the last several months financially, with their time, with much effort. Thank You, Lord, for Your faithfulness to bring into their lives the necessary equipping by the teaching of the Scripture, the empowerment of Your Word by Spirit-anointed teachers to equip for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. We, with great, great pleasure, look back over these months and thank You for the vision of this kind of training that You have brought here. Thank You, Lord, for expanding Your work to a school of ministry. And as a church, we are behind them. And we pray for each one of these students, every man, every woman up here, You placed a calling on them. As they go out, Lord, to intern now to go out to their outreaches. Gift each one in particular. Let them know where their gifts begin and where they end. Help them in humility to know their limitations. To serve those in need that they come in contact with. To be bold. For Your Word says the righteous shall be bold as a lion. Lord, gift them to teach, to preach, in mercy ministries, In short, Lord, representing Jesus Christ to this world. May people see Jesus clearly through their lives. Keep them healthy. And we ask You to provide every financial need that they have as well. We now commend them to You, Lord, as they go out to preach the Gospel in all the world. 